the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 this morning. I, I, I learned from, from Brother Mays Jackson, also he and Brother Ralph Sexton both, they would always, uh, they were very careful that to observe holidays and to preach along themes. And I, 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 was, I was asking about it one time and uh, I asked Brother Mays and he said, well, son, he said, people's minds are already there. And he said, if you can build a message around something that people's minds are already there, he said, you've won you've half the battle. You've got half the battle. And so uh, he, was, he was famous for that. As a matter of fact, uh, Brother Mays was with me in meeting when O.J. Simpson had the low-speed chase through Hollywood in the white Bronco. And we had finished meeting. He always wanted to go to McDonald's. I don't think it's necessarily because he liked McDonald's, but he knew that we were broke and he didn't want to be a burden on us. So we'd go to McDonald's after every service. He'd go to McDonald's. Well, back in those days, they had televisions in McDonald's. They've since taken them out and they took out the free coffee too because people sat there and drink coffee all day and watch television. So he, they took out both. But uh, we sat there and watched the low-speed chase with O.J. Simpson well, the next week, come on his broadcast, and he said, send in for the message, is O.J. guilty? And he preached a message about is O.J. guilty. Now, if you listen to the message, it had nothing to do with the, the murder. It was, he said, yeah, he's guilty of sin, he's guilty of this, he's guilty, of, you know, and he went down all the things that he was guilty of, but didn't mention about whether or not he's guilty of but that was, the, that was his title. I remember that. We'll forget it. Is O.J. guilty? So, uh, 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 you know, thematic, I guess would be the phrase, uh, preaching. Well, this morning, our minds, this is Valentine's week, and our minds uh, are hopefully uh, centered in thinking about uh, the theme of love. And this morning, I'd like for you to take your Bible and stand with us, open to the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, actually, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to turn to a different passage. I'm going to read to you out of 1 John chapter number 4. And I'll take that from my text, but we'll expound the thought found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Let me just say it this, let's say this. Someone has said that love is not a tangible thing. It's not something that we can put a mic on or a tape measure on. It's not something we can put on the scale and we can weigh it. It's not something that we can in any way measure in that regard. But love can be measured and can be known only from the actions that it prompts. Kind of like the wind. You can't see the wind. You say, oh, I've seen the wind. You haven't seen the wind. You've seen the effect of the wind. You've never seen wind. Oh, yeah, I saw the wind had you know, dust devil. And I, no, you saw dust in the wind, but you didn't see wind. You saw the effects of the wind. And thereby we know wind. We can feel it. We can see the effects of it, but you can't see wind 
in and of itself. And so it is with love. Love is known from the actions that it prompts. With that thought in mind, I want you to look in the book of First. No, I'm going I'm to read. You don't turn there. First John chapter four. I'm interested in this phrase. The scripture says, "In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world." that we might live through him. I think what he said in 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So let me say again, love can be known only by the actions that it prompts. And the scripture says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray together. Father, help us, I pray, Lord, to be found faithful to the word of God this morning. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. Now I direct your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. This is known as the love chapter, and uh, the modern versions use the word love. But I want you to understand that uh, the word love is an overused word in the English language. And the word charity uh, that, that our Bible uses gives us a better understanding of, of the thought behind this. If I can say it this way, charity carries with it the idea of love without a cause. Love without a cause. One-way love. Okay? So uh, from, from that perspective and from a literary perspective, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. But G. Campbell Morgan said from a literary perspective... This is one of the most remarkable passages that ever came from the pen of mankind. There's never been more truth contained in the verses, in the first 13 verses of the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. But it's not, uh, it's not a commentary on, on, on love like love ice cream. It's not a, like we love our ice cream or we love our dog. Or, or it's not, that's not the commentary at all. But it is a divine perspective concerning love. And this is, that, and this is what we have to understand. It is the, the divine perspective. The phrase that is translated here is used a total of 113 times. But of those 113 times, 27 times, it uses the term charity. And charity, if, and I've used this before, but I don't know of a better one. If I, if I were to give this coat to, to, to charity, and I donate that to charity, well, I, I mean, you can get a tax receipt for it, you know. But if you give it to charity, a lot of times I'll take stuff and they say, do you want a receipt? No, I don't care for one. Most people don't. Most people don't claim things too much, you know. But what if I take and put a, in the pocket of the jacket, I put a note and it says uh, to, to the person who gets this, uh, I need my grass mowed and I need my leaves raked and I need some lawn work done. And in exchange for me giving you this jacket, I need you to come do yard work. 
Now the question is, did I, is it charity? No, I expected something in return. By the way, that's the way, that, that's the way uh, if according to the IRS, according to the IRS, and that's coming up on that time, when you give to charity, it is with no expectation of anything in return other than, in, in this case, we'd say spiritual value. Okay? Non-tangible. In other words, uh, you don't give in the offering and get a tax credit for it so that you can go in the bookstore. You know, you don't give $100 in the offering and then so you can go get $100 worth of books out of the bookstore. If you did, it's not charity. That's a purchase. You see the difference? And you've got to be real careful. They've cracked down on these people who do these, uh, they do share and all this fundraising. And they said, for your gift of so much, we'll give you our gift. Boy, they've really cracked down on that thing. And so nowadays, in, in some cases, if you, if you uh, let's say that they're offering a DVD set of something, and for your gift of $200, uh, we'll give you this set of DVDs. Well, uh, they're actually having to deduct the cost of the DVDs. And so if the DVDs is $40 and you, have, you give $200 to get it, your tax receipt only shows $160. It shows a receipt for the $40, but your tax receipt portion only is for the difference over and above the value of the item. Well, so I think you get that. I think you understand that. But I, I'm, I'm still trying to, to lay the foundation that the love the scripture talks about here, the charity that the scripture talks about, is not the love of affection. And I, and I say it, and here, let me see if I can define that a little further. It's not affection drawn out by the excellency of its object. That makes sense? Okay. Let me, give you a, let me give you a farm illustration, okay? So I saw a goat the other day that brought $5 at the auction. Every rib it had was showing. It looked like it had some type of the mange or something. It was limping. It was nasty. And I wouldn't have given $5 for it. But somebody did. I, I guess it went on the meat wagon. That's probably what happened to it. But on the other hand, a year ago, this sweet little white lamb was placed out there on the auction block. Its legs were trembling. It was crying. It was about this big. It was just a little smaller than a bread basket. And I made the mistake of taking my granddaughter with me. And I still blame it on her. It really wasn't her fault, but I blame it on her. And she looked over at me with big old eyes. I just put my card up. I don't know what I paid for it. It wouldn't matter. It's the whole, you know. We ended up having to bottle, she ended up having to bottle feed a lamb during Sherathon last year. Well, just so you know, that lamb now weighs probably 120 pounds. Uh, yeah, probably bigger than that. And it will knock you down. I mean, he is a bruiser. He, he's something else. And he's still, but he is, he is food insecure. And man, he is... Uh, he, he, he'll, I, I'd, I'd hate to feed him all he can eat. Uh, but let me see if I can explain the difference. There was nothing about that goat that I saw go through 
that would have prompted me to have any affection toward it. It looked like it was going to die anyway. All right. There was nothing in that. But if I had bought that, it would have been based, uh, it would have been out of pure, uh, it would have been out of pure mercy. Can I say it that way? On the other hand, that little sheep, now son, they don't think, they ain't too many things cuter than that. I mean, that absolutely cutest thing ever was. And that little, I mean, just cute as it could be. And, and so uh, the, the difference between a baby puppy and a baby rattlesnake. You see the difference? Well, I need you to understand when it comes to, when it comes to God's view of things, we were the baby rattlesnakes, okay? We were not the baby puppies. If you think that, if you think that the excellency is the, of the object is what got you to God, you need to rethink some things. That don't line up with the book, amen? Bible says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not in your current state, but while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. And so uh, it is a deliberate choice of, of, of God uh, it, it, without an assignable cause, if I can say it that way, save that which lies within the nature of God. It is in the nature of God to be drawn to that goat that's helpless and, 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 and diseased and, and uh, of no value to anyone. That, that appeals to the very nature of Almighty God. Am, am, I, am I getting through? I don't feel like I'm, I'm I, how do you expound the love of God? How do you do that? The songwriter said, if every man on earth was a scribe, and if, the, if, if every, every stalk was a quill, and if the ocean was full of ink, and if the sky was the scroll, you couldn't write the love of God. You couldn't do that. And so, it is difficult to expound an inexpoundable truth, but that's where I'm heading this morning. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm trying to do. And the best way I know to do it is to say this, that love had its per perfect expression in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's perfect gift to mankind. And we saw the very nature of God. We saw the very nurture of God. We saw what the heart of God was made out of when he sent his son, when we were yet unlovable. And so I want to look at some things that, that Christ-like love. You know, there's, there's a list of things found here in this chapter that man puts a high price on and that man puts a high degree on. But my Bible tells me that that Christ-like love is worth more than all that list of things. Look what the Bible says in verse number one, and I'll just use portions of verses. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men, though I speak with the tongues of men, and he says in angels, though I speak with the tongues of men, can I tell you, anybody that has an oratory skill is looked, looked high upon in these days. Anybody that can uh, expound a thought, anybody that can get up and, and, and can proclaim 
uh, truth uh, and can, 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 can captivate an audience. You know, there are people, they've just got the gift. There are people who are born communicators. They said that about Ronald Reagan. They said that Ronald Reagan, his nickname was the Great Communicator. And he took his causes direct to the American people. He bypassed. You know what's interesting? Unless I'm mistaken, and I'd have to go back and check the records, but unless I'm mistaken, I don't think Ronald Reagan ever enjoyed a supermajority in the House and Senate in all eight years. So that would have been four congressional terms. I don't think he ever had a supermajority. And yet he got more accomplished probably than any president since then because he was that great communicator. And he would take his calls to the American people and people dare not go against it. They might not agree with him, but when they saw the American people were for it, they would jump on the bandwagon and vote bipartisanly because they knew that the president, he could take it to the people and <laughs> don't go against the people who elected you. And that's how he did it. And he, would, and he, he could build consensus. He was that great communicator. Uh, and, and so, but can I say it this way? That... Though I speak with tongues of men, this Christ-like love is worth more than the greatest proclamation. There are world leaders, there are philosophers, there are people that have made some great statements. But the greatest proclamation, hey, the scripture teaches that Christ-like love is worth more than proclamation. But then the scripture says, though I have the gift of prophecy. Now, in, in your New Testament, the word prophecy has a, uh, it has a, 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 a dual meaning, depending on, depending on the timing. The word prophecy can mean foretelling, foretelling the future, but it can also mean foretelling, meaning that uh, it was not new revelation, but it was telling something that the people who were listening did not know. And so it can be used as both. But I want you to understand that even though, uh, that, uh, e even though there's, there's someone who tells the future and gets it right, even though there's someone who can, uh, can, can bring about great truth uh, in terms of prophecy, I want you to understand that this Christ-like love that the Bible speaks of, it's worth more than prophecy. I've often wondered of the people who make their predictions. I've often wondered how come they don't go back at the end of the year and, and, and check them off and let's see how many they got right. So many times it's pretty vague, you know, and you say, oh, that's the fulfillment of it. Well, I could have guessed that, you know. Uh, to, to, to guess that Putin's going to invade somebody. Well, that's not a hard one, is it? You know, and, and, and that, I mean, that's, that's pretty easy to, to come by. And, and, and you know, so in, on the world theater, but I'm talking about somebody who, uh, with prophecy. But I'll go one step further. The Bible says, though I understand, though I, and then it says, understand all mysteries in verse number two. I want you to understand that while we talk about uh, prophecy, 
There are things that this world don't, we don't understand. There are things that we still don't understand. Uh, we don't, there's some engineering things that we don't understand. We don't know how it got there. We don't know how they built it. We don't understand how they were able to pull that off. Down in Peru and on the mountains up on the Altiplano, there are rocks. If you go and look at them, they're just rocks, rows of rocks. And it's not until you get up several hundred feet above the ground that you realize that those rocks make animals, large animals. The problem is there's no way to even lay that out without being up in the air. So my question is, how did that ancient people lay those rocks out if they weren't up in the air to do it? I'm just asking, how do you do that? Um, somebody, t I, I was wondering how, the, you've seen these corn mazes? Have you, have you, you've been to a corn maze? Well, I went to one. Uh, I cheated. I cut through and, and, and I got lost. So I cut through and got out. But the, the, the fun thing about a corn maze is not the walking through it. The fun maze is seeing it from the air. And I was pretty amazed when I first found out that it makes a scene. If you get up above it and look down at it, it's a scene. It's a picture of something made out of the way you sow the rows of corn. I did not know that it's a computer program and that it tells you where to row. It tells you exactly what to do and they go in and lay it all out and then they plant the crop according to it and it grows into a picture. But it looked like to me that somebody hovered in a helicopter and they went in there with a weed eater and cut out what looked like the picture, you know. I, I couldn't figure out how they did it. But how did they do that thousands of years ago? That's my question. How did they do that? And the answer is, I don't know how they did it. I, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they built the pyramids. I'm not sure how they did that. I don't know how they built the Acropolis up on top of, in Athens. I don't know how they did that. I'm not sure. I can't figure that one out. I don't understand how the Temple of Athena, how that the step has a curvature in it, and the curvature is the exact miniature of the curvature of the earth in scale. I don't understand that. This is, this is, that was antiquity when Paul preached there. It was a wonder, the wonder of the world when the apostle Paul stood there on Mars Hill and looked up at it. It was an old, old thing then, so it's about 2,500 years old. How did they do that? How did they know the earth was round and how did they get it in miniature? I don't know. I don't know how they did that. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand any of those things. But the scripture says, though I understand all mysteries. Recently I preached about that man of sin. I think he's going to unlock some mysteries. But there's going to be a big void there because he's not going to have the love of Christ, just the opposite. He's going to have a narcissist. He's going to have the love of self. And so the Christ-like love is worth more than perception, than the answer to all the mysteries of mankind. The love of Christ is worth more than that. Amen. Look what the scripture says in verse number two. He says, though I have, and then I'm jumping, picking up the phrase, all knowledge. Now we've talked about the perception, but what about all knowledge? All knowledge. When you think about the philosophers, when you think about the people that have, you think about how smart they are and how they could do some of the things that they've done and, and how, the, 
how that, I mean, I'm talking about many, many, many years ago, they built things and they made things and the, in the wisdom and the, and the, the thought that went into some of these things boggles your mind. You don't understand how in the world, but I can tell you this, it don't matter if you're the most intelligent person on earth, you're going to die and take that to the grave with you, except what you can teach to somebody else. So the Christ-like love is worth more than all the philosophy that this world has in combination. It's worth more than all of that combined. But then look what the Bible says in verse 2, though I have, he says this, all faith, so that I could remove mountains. It would take a lot of power to move a mountain, wouldn't it? That takes a lot of power to move a mountain. And yet, according to Scripture, that if I had the power to say to that mountain, be thou removed, if I had that kind of power, that that Christ's love that he loved us with is, is, is more it's worth more than having the power to say, get out of here, mountain, and it flee into the ocean. Can you imagine that? So I said, boy, if you had that kind of power, just think, yeah, but can I tell you, you can have power, but not that kind of, hey, you have something worth more than that in the love of Christ. Though I have all faith that I could remove mountains. Look at verse number three. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Somebody who gives and does things, that's called a philanthropist. And the act of giving is philanthropy. He says, though I give all my goods to feed the poor. Someone who, who gave, give, would give everything away. I, they were making a big deal not long ago that uh, one of the multi-billionaires in America was giving everything away and he was going to give away I forgot how much it was, and he was only going to keep back, you know, a billion. He's going to give all his other billions away. A billion? You know how much a billion is? It's a thousand million. He's only keeping a thousand million in reserve. Oh, but he gave away billions. Let me say it this way. He can't spend what he's got. I mean, he can't spend the interest. I figured it up the other day, and I know of a situation where someone, uh, they're, they're building, and it seems like they're building without a limit. And I, I did some research, and I saw what the last company that they sold, sold for. And I got to looking at it, and the interest on that money, if they took that money and put it, invested it at the current rates, that money is making $15,000 a day. You reckon I could spend $15,000 a day? I'd like to try it for a week or two, see if I liked it. Wouldn't you? So when you think about what that rate of return is, what's, what's $1,000? What's, you know, I mean, in an eight-hour day, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, you know, $15,000 a day, I mean, it's almost $2,000 an hour. So you can hire a lot of people. You can do a lot of work. You can do a lot of stuff you can do with that kind of money. But I want you to understand, if you give everything, if the richest man in the world gave everything that he had uh, in philanthropy, the scripture still says that the love of Christ is worth more than that. 
worth more than that. And then the scripture says this. Now, and, and it's getting, this is about as, I mean, you can almost see the progression coming down through here. The love of Christ is worth more than proclamation. Speak with tongues of men. Worth more than prophecy. Have the gift of prophecy. Worth more than perception. Understand all mysteries. Worth more than philosophy. All knowledge. Worth more than power. Remove mountains. Worth more than philanthropy. Uh, goods to feed the poor. Then he says this last one. Though I give my body to be burned in verse number three. Now it's one thing to be martyred for a cause. That's a big deal. But not too long ago, I forgot where it was at, but I read it. Somebody was trying to bring, I don't know, attention to some cause. And to me, it was not a huge cause. I can't even remember what it was now. Isn't that something that somebody paid the ultimate price? And I don't even remember what they paid it for. But this, this, this young man doused himself in gasoline and then told what his cause was and lit a match and burned himself to death. I can't think of a more horrible way to die than to be burned alive. And yet the scripture says, even if I did that, I mean, that is like the, the worst pain that's ever been is burning alive. But do you understand that the worst pain that's ever been, that the Christ-like love is worth more than the worst pain that a man could subject himself to? And that's the, it's the illustration that Paul uses, though I give my body to be burned. Still, we're talking about the, the love of Christ being worth more than all those things. So I've been trying to, to share with you the idea of the superiority. In other words, there's really nothing in this world that we can come up with. And there's a list here. There's nothing to even compare what the love of God is worth in the life of the Christian. And so uh, it, it's superior to anything else we can come up with. But then on the other part... Now we're going to go into the negative. Now we're going to do a little bit of, so we've been doing a little bit of adding. Now we're going to do a little bit of subtracting. Some, some things I left out in those verses on purpose. So there is the superiority of a Christ-like love, but there's also the scarcity of a Christ-like love. In other words, when we render poor performance in the Christian realm, it's because of a lack of our love in our service. Oh, you can do some things, but the scripture says in verse number one that it would be like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, there is disharmony disharmony from a lack of Christ-like love. It, can I say it this way? It's just noise. It's just noise. And there's a place for symbols, and there's a pray, place for, but hey, they also just make a noise if it's in the wrong place. In a John Philip Sousa march, 
Symbols are an important part, you know, and you slash them together and keep the beat with them. And then, but there comes a crescendo and that's when the symbols hit and it fits and it's in the right place. But can I tell you, it's just symbols clanging on their own. I mean, it, it, it's out of place. It's just noise. And, and there's no melody and there's no harmony in just that, the clanging of that. Well, can I say, how many churches this morning just making a noise? You understand what I'm saying? How many just making a noise? Because that, that love of God's been, it's been left out. Oh, they're making noise, all right. I mean, I saw yesterday where a boy has been thrown out of a Catholic school for taking a stand up between one man and one, a man and a woman rather than two men or two women in a Catholic, a Catholic school. He was expelled. I never thought I'd live to see that. Something's wrong, folks. Something's wrong. Say what you want to. You can put what you want to on the sign, but there's something wrong with that. That's disharmony from a lack of, 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 of the love of the Word of God and, and, and the Christ-like love. But not only the disharmony, but I want you to look what the Bible says in verse number 2 at the devaluing. He says, though I do those things, have all the gift of prophecy, understand all, all knowledge, uh, so, so could I remove mountains, and have not charity. What's the last phrase of verse number two? I am nothing. So, regardless what kind of a value a man puts on himself, missing that one quality devalues whatever that price tag might be. And so there's disharmony from a lack and the scarcity of a Christ-like love. There's devaluing uh, from the lack or a scarcity of Christ-like love. But then look in verse number three. He says, all, all the goods to feed the poor, body to be burned, and have not charity. Look what the last phrase says. It profiteth me nothing. So can I say it this way? I'm talking about a deficit. A deficit from the lack of Christ-like love. Regardless of what a person does, you just negate all of that. You just took everything away. So there is a scarcity, not only the superiority of the love that Christ has for us, but there's a scarcity of those, uh, in, in, in those things that, are, that it's missing in our lives. And somebody said, preacher, well, that's, that's pretty ambiguous and that's all well and good. Well, let me see if I can say it this way. When recently we have had faith promise, just, just a couple of weekends ago, and for folks to give, to take the gospel to people who have not heard, for folks to, uh, to give to, to, the, to, the, to the point that I'm talking about, uh, somebody said, Preacher ought to give till it hurts. I've always advised against that. 
I always tell people, fill till it get, give till it gets to feeling better. If you stop where it hurts, you, you won't keep that up, all right? You need to give past that. You need to give where it starts feeling better. But I'm going to be honest with you. That drama those youngins did, and that one scream out over here in the darkness, and this one scream out over here in the darkness, and that one just scream out over there in the darkness. I want you to understand that those people ain't never going to mow your grass. Those people ain't never going to do nothing for you. I had a man, a man tell me this. And I, I asked him twice just to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding. I was talking to him about missions. And I was talking to him specifically about disaster. And by the way, disaster is a very effective means of missions. You can, we've seen people saved as a result of, of disaster work. And I, I don't know how it came about, but I was with another pastor and I said something about supporting disaster. I wasn't asking him to do it. I just mentioned it. I don't know. That we're involved in disaster. And, we, and his response was, huh, I ain't sending all my money down there. All right, my church's money down there. And I didn't quite understand where he was coming from, so I said, I, 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 you know, I said try me again. I don't think I got that. Tell me. Tell me, tell me what, what we're talking about. He said, I'm not sending all my money down to the coast. He said, those people ain't never going to come to my church. And then I dawned on me what he was saying. He was only going to invest his money here locally where people would come to his church where he could get more money. The only reason that he was, that, that was it. He, was, he, was, he wasn't going to invest no money in some, to build somebody else's church he was going to invest all his money here locally where people could come to his church where he'd get a better car and a better salary and a better parsonage and a better... That was the idea, to, to his church. I ain't investing that. Those people ain't never going to come to my church. And I thought about that for a long time and I thought, you know what? Those people in Africa, they're never going to come to my church. But they're going to become a part of the church. Those people over there in the 1040 window, they're not going to ever come to this church. They'll never know we give a dime. They don't, our name's not on it. They're not going to know that we did it. It's not like that when they get saved, they're going to send us a thank you letter because our name's not on it. But God knows. And boy, that just washed over my soul. Do you understand that the greatest love in the world is a, is a love without a cause? And, and understand, there is a cause. But I'm talking about not a personal cause. It's not going to profit me one thing personally other than what I'm going to have in heaven. See what I'm saying? But boy, it's going to profit the kingdom of God. Whew. And every time I go to think about something, every time I go to buy something, every time I, it's almost got to where it's, I don't call it a sickness, but it's an awareness. Every time I go to buy something and I look at the price tag on it, especially if it's of any, any amount, my mind goes to, well, how many Bibles would that buy? Yeah. How many Sunday school lessons would this buy in Mongolia? How many... How many tracks would this buy? How, 
how, how, well, that'd buy, that'd buy half a motorbike in the Philippines, or this would buy uh, so many bricks in India. I mean, I mean, you got to look at it in that light. And it doesn't mean that I mean, Lord, the Lord leaves us the 90% out of which we can give free will offering. But I'm just here to tell you, anybody ever been to, well, you probably haven't, but to call Bible College, to call Falls, a fellow by the name of Letourneau was heavily involved in building that school. And Lee Turno, I guess is what you call it, invented something called the Turnipole. It was the original thing. And what had happened was machines had got to the point that they, they were so big that drive shafts and transmissions and clutches would no longer work. In other words, it couldn't take the pressure. When we were happened to be in Fort Worth, Texas, when the 600 horsepower cat came out, we toured the factory. And they were telling us that they put that 600 horsepower cat in one of the big tractors, put a regular transmission behind it, took it out, hooked it to the sled, showered down on it, and it shelled every one of the teeth off first gear, just ripped them off. And they pulled the lever and stopped everything. They didn't have a transmission big enough to handle that kind of horsepower. They had to go to an automatic for a time until they could build a transmission that would handle that. What happened was with these big earth movers, it got to the point transmissions and drive shafts and clutches would no longer work. So Letourneau figured out, I'll put a drive motor on every wheel. And they originally were hydraulic. So he'd put a drive motor and run hydraulic lines, and that was the original, and a pump, similar to the way a skid steer operates. And then from that, they decided, well, the better way than hydraulics is to do electric. So they put electric motors on every wheel, put a generator up where the motor would go, and they run a generator, and it runs power. And by the way, that's how diesel locomotives, you ever wonder how a diesel locomotive can take off with a full train load of, of weight? You ever wondered how it does that? Electric, that's how it does it. Otherwise, you couldn't, a train would not take off. It would sit there and spin. It couldn't do it. It couldn't pull it. But the, 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 the torque of those engines, and it doesn't break anything because there's actually nothing touching. It's the force of the electricity. There's nothing actually that, that can break because of the electric drive of those diesel trains. Well, I said all that to say this. Letourneau come up with that concept. And... He actually built, we, sometimes there's a, it's 100 miles between here and Tacoa Falls at the airport. Letourneau Field, we'll fly down there if you want to do a cross country. I've flown down there before with, in the plane back and forth doing cross countries to it's exactly 100 miles. So you can count it on your, on your flight training as, as, a, as a cross country because it's 100 miles. They've got two runways. It's easy to land. You go down there and land, then you take back off, come back up here. It's a nice flight. Well, Letourneau built that. They said that he started out giving 10% of everything he made. But his wealth was accumulating to the, so quickly that he decided to give 20 and keep 80. And then 70 and keep, and then it got on down. It got to the place that he was giving away 
90% and keeping 10, but he was accumulating more wealth than he could ever spend. And that, that happened. He, he, and that's, that's where that great, in other words, he, couldn't, he could not spend the little bit he kept. He couldn't spend it because God blessed it to the point. Can I say it this way? <laughs> the scripture says in this was manifest the love of God toward us. That, or because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. Well, let me read the last part of that. He said in, again, I'm back in, in 1 John. He said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. One of the tests that John said, hereby we know we love, because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. Can I tell you, I may not, I, you, you, me and you, our personalities might not be the same. But boy, when I see how much God loved you, and I love him, and you special to him, so that means you're special to me. You're special to me. I've used this illustration so many times about the old yellow cat. Fella, he was a, had a bumper sticker on his truck that said, I love cats. They taste like chicken. And uh, he hated cats. I mean, he hated them. And his wife always wanted a cat, but he never would let her have one. He hated them. And he made fun of them. And he hated them. Well, she come down with cancer. And she was going through a real rough battle of chemo. And she had a rocking chair she'd sat in the sunshine in the afternoon and try to get some sun. One day, her daughter brought in a big old yellow cat. And that thing would get up in her lap. She loved that thing, and it loved her. She sat there with her in her lap and pet it. And it, every, time it, it every time she'd go get in that chair, that cat would go get in her lap. Well... Her husband didn't like it, but he tolerated it. Said he never would, but his wife was sick and it didn't look like she was going to live. So he tolerated that old yellow cat in the house. And his wife died. And during the death, nobody really thought about you about anything. And after the funeral, the daughter happened to think, oh, my soul, what about mama's old yellow cat? She said, I'll have to go get it. If daddy ain't already killed it, said, I'll have to go get it. And uh, I'll have to take it off, take it to somewhere. Said, I, I don't know what we're going to do with it. And said, she went to the house and went in. Said, sitting there in that rocking chair was her daddy looking out the window. And sitting in his lap was that old yellow cat. 
and he's sitting there petting it. And she said, Daddy, I'm surprised. He said, what? She said, you hate that old yellow cat. And he looked at her with tears in his eyes. He said, yeah, but I sure did love you, Mama. Arch enemies, arch enemies can become friends because of the love of the Father overrides the hatred of one another. Can we bow our heads? Do you know the love of God? Have you surrendered your heart and life? Do you know Christ in the free pardon of sin? If not, you can. He loves you. He gave himself for you. And he wants you to be his child. But that comes only through the new birth. Not by works, lest any man should boast. But through the new birth. And through a personal confession. That I'm lost, a sinner. Undone without God. And a realization that it's either Christ or hell. No third, no third option. And you've asked Christ to come into your heart. Be your Lord and Savior. Have you done that? Have you asked him to be your savior? Maybe you hear and you say, preacher, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. I'm talking about a Christ-like love. I don't know what the need of your heart is, but whatever it might be, let God speak to you. Let God help you.